We know from Scripture there will come a day when that final trumpet will sound. But as we study the book of Revelation, we notice seven other trumpets, uh, warning trumpets, and we look at them today. Our text covers chapters 8 and 9 of Revelation. just want to read a few verses from chapter 8 and then a few verses from chapter 9. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God on the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Then go to chapter 9. And we come to the end of this section after these uh, trumpets were blown. And here's the response of the people. Chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning for how good you are, how gracious you are. And even as we look at these uh, uh, trumpets uh, that announce uh, uh, judgment, we we see them, Lord, as, as warnings. As a reminder to those who dwell on the earth that there will come a day when Jesus will come again, that final trumpet will blow. And Father, these are reminders for people to to repent and be ready to meet you. And Lord, help us to see that today. And in light of all that we look at this morning, that these are loving warnings. You are sounding the alarm, reminding men and women to be right with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Back in my college baseball days, we played what I would describe as a very pathetic baseball game against Southwest State University in in Marshall. In fact, we played so poorly that some of the fans from Southwest State started pretending they were at a circus. They were literally singing and then one man said, let's put up a tent and sell tickets. It was a circus the way we played that day. It was probably one of the most embarrassing sporting events that I ever had a part in. As you can well imagine, our coach was not real happy. And while we were getting our stuff together and going into the bus, he took off and was walking to the motel. 
Now, we played in Marshall, but we slept in Redwood Falls, which was 45 miles away. So can you imagine our coach walking down the side of the highway <laughs> and we're driving in the bus and we pull over and, and pick him up and, and he walks in the bus and those of us who are the more observant ones said, you know, he's not happy. He was, he was just not happy. He sat down and there was just silence. Not a, a word. About a half hour later, he stood up and he gave us a tongue lashing. I mean, it was like smoke coming out of his ears and the veins in his neck were just popping. I thought he was going to have a stroke. And then he sat down and then he stood up one more time. And he said, I don't want to hear another word from you. And then he sat down and he stood up again and said, Ever! <laughs> So that kind of became the joke for the rest of the year. Every now and then you'd hear someone on the bus, I don't want to hear another word out of you ever. <laughs> when I think of that, there was this half hour of, of absolute silence until our coach stood up. It was the lull before the storm. And that's really what we see in our text here. Our, our text begins in verse 1, the breaking of the seventh seal of that scroll that we saw back in chapter 5. And John tells us then in verse 1, when the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And if you observe what follows this silence, it is really the lull before the storm. Judgments are soon to come upon the earth, and these judgments are all announced with trumpets. And I think that's significant because these trumpets were, as it were, a, 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 an alarm, a sound of, of warning. There is a final judgment coming, and these trumpets that we see here, they're alarms. They're sounding the alarm. People on earth... You need to be ready. Those of you who are worshiping idols and those of you who are living in sin, Jesus is coming again. And these trumpets then sound that alarm. They sound the warning. Before John witnesses the blowing of these trumpets, he sees something quite interesting. In verse 2, he said, I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up, before God. Can you picture that? The incense just rising, symbolizing the prayers of the saints. Then, verse 5 says, the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Now, I would suggest to you that there is something important that we see here. John is witnessing a very close connection with the prayers of the saints 
and the judgment of God. As the prayers of the saints ascend before God, it is followed by the judgment of God upon the earth. There's an example of this principle in the Old Testament with the suffering that the people of Israel faced in the land of Egypt. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their suffering. So the cries of God's people went up before him and God answered by bringing judgment upon the Egyptians. And it's very interesting, if you look at the plagues that came upon the Egyptians, they are very similar to the trumpets you see here. Quite interesting. Just as there you see hail and fire, you see water turning into blood, you see the dying of the sun, you see locusts upon the earth... (laughs) Quite interesting, isn't it? Just as God brought those events and plagues and pestilence upon Egypt, literally, I think we can say the same is going to happen here. As the cries of God's people go up, the judgment of God comes down. So God is sounding the alarm here. He is lovingly telling people to repent before it's too late. And that's exactly what he did with the plagues in Egypt, right? When Moses came to Pharaoh, what did he say? Let my people go or else, or else. And all of those plagues came because Pharaoh would not let his people go. So God was merciful, right? God gave warning. God was sounding the alarm to Pharaoh. Let my people go or else. And we see the same here. These alarms are God's warning. So how does God do that? Notice, first of all, God lovingly, and I would emphasize that, God lovingly warns with judgment of limited severity. These judgments have a limit to them in how much God pours out upon the earth. Okay, notice them. Just verse 7, the first trumpet sounded, hail and fire mixed with blood. They were thrown to the earth. And what's the result? A third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees was burned up. Verse 8, the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the creatures were in the sea had the, which were in the sea and had life died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Okay? And as you read through all of these verses, you are going to notice this reference to a third, 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 a third. Did I get 11? I think there's 11 of them. So in six verses, you see that third mentioned 11 times. You can't miss the repetition. What's the point? God did not all of a sudden wipe out everything. A third, these are judgments of warning. And God limits the severity of it, and they are sent to get man's attention. It's a way of showing the people of the world that they need to repent. 
David Atkinson, in his commentary, says, Fearful damage is done to the land and its vegetation, the sea and its ships, the waters which men drink, and the light by which they see. But the damage is partial, one-third, not total, which seems to show that the trumpets are sounding not doom, but warning. The majority of mankind is allowed to survive, being shown God's wrath against sin and given a chance to repent. The offer is not accepted, and the world will not, in fact, repent. But then he says this, and get this carefully. But let it never be said that God has not done all in his power, even to the devastation of his own once perfect earth, in order to bring men to their senses. That's the desire of God. That men would repent. He's not willing that any should perish. And these trumpet blasts, these judgments that come, are for that very reason. That people would be brought to their senses. Now, we do that sometimes as parents with our children, right? Do your kids ever need to be brought to their senses? Huh? I did. And I knew when my dad was, was going to bring me to, to, to my senses because when he reached for his belt, aha, there's the Board of Education. Right? He is going to bring me to my senses. Now, did he destroy me? Did he beat me up? No. But he gave a limited amount of uh, discipline. Why? To deal with my sinful nature, to bring me to the place where I say, Dad, I'm sorry. Forgive me. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Limited in its severity in order to bring to repentance. You need to be brought to your senses. Are you in a right relationship with God today? I hope so. But if not, God has ways of getting our attention. And that's what we see here. These first four trumpet judgments are limited. One-third, 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 one-third. Now, if that doesn't work, so if you as a parent, you discipline your children in a, in a limited way, does there sometimes need to be a little bit more uh, discipline, a little bit uh, stronger? Yeah, I needed that too. And so that's what we see here. God lovingly warns, secondly, with judgments of increasing intensity. You compare the first four trumpets with the last three, and I'll tell you what, it increases in intensity. The first four trumpets affect man indirectly. Because these judgments fall upon the earth. Vegetation is affected. The water is affected. Light upon the earth is affected. But since we live on the earth, if something comes on the earth, it impacts us, right? Indirectly, but we are still affected by that. But when you examine the last three trumpets, that changes Instead of being affected indirectly, man is affected in a very direct way. 
And that's why with these last three trumpets, number five, six, and seven, you will see the word woe. When you see the word woe, what does that mean? Look out, right? Look at verse 13. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So trumpet number five, number six, number seven, those are woes. Those are bad. And they affect man not indirectly because of vegetation or water or whatever. They come upon man in a very direct way. Notice verse 1 of chapter 5, where we see the fifth trumpet. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. Bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree. And here's the direct impact, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And listen to this, verse 6, And in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. You see why that's a woe? Woe to you who dwell on the earth. Not indirectly affected, but bitten by these these scorpions, tormented. Men will want to die, and they will not be able to die. But notice that this judgment affects only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, we talked about the plagues in Egypt, and this reminds us of the plagues in Egypt when God made a distinction, right, between His people and the people of Egypt. Several times we see that. There was light among Israel, darkness in the land of Egypt. And many of the other plagues that affected only the Egyptians did not have an impact upon the people of Israel. God protected them from the judgments that came upon the Egyptians. So that's encouraging, isn't it? That God takes care of His people. That God provides for those who love Him and know Him. We see that here. Now, whatever these locusts are, and there are several views, so we're not going to go into that, but verse 4 says that these locusts were told not to hurt the grass or any green thing or any tree, but only the men who don't have the seal of God on their forehead. So who told them? I think we know the answer to that, right? Who's in control of all this? 
The God who sends these judgments is the God who controls these judgments. Just as it affected only one-third of the earth with those first four, now God is in control of how these locusts have an impact on the earth. They were told God was involved in this. And just as He made a distinction between His people and the people of Egypt, the Lord does the same here. Mercy in the midst of judgment? Yeah. That's God, right? Absolutely it is. The sixth judgment, trumpet, impacts men directly again. Verse 13 of chapter 9, Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. One saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared... For the hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire and of hyacinth and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded out of their mouths. So just like the previous judgment, this judgment impacts man in a way that is much greater than the first four trumpets. And it's obvious that the Lord is in control of this because there were four angels who had been prepared for the hour, listen to that, the hour, the day, and the month, and the year. That's precise, isn't it? The hour, the day, the month, and the year. God's plan for the world is so precise that these Events and this in particular will take place at the exact hour that God determined it to happen. No natural disaster. No Mother Nature. This is the plan of God. And He will carry out His plan. Now, if you think about all these things that are to happen, I want to give you three lessons that we we need to lay hold of in this section. The first one is this, is that God is is perfectly just. Perfectly just. Notice how that's clear at the end of chapter 9. In verse 20, we see God's judgment for violating the first commandment. Instead of worshiping the true and living God, who do they worship? Demons, it says. Idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood. What a slap in the face of God that men would worship demons and idols instead of the true and living God. So God's judgment is just, perfectly just. Verse 21, we see God's judgment for violating those commands that teach us how to treat one another instead of loving their neighbor. These people are murderers, adulterers, robbers, 
So the judgment of God against those who violate His commands is perfectly just, and no one will ever be able to say, God, you are not fair. Stand before God, the books are opened. All the evil deeds that people have done, you did this to this to this to this to this and this and this and this and this. That's what it's like apart from Jesus. No, no cleansing, no forgiveness. Absolutely just. God is perfectly just. But never to say that God is unfair or unjust in any way. So that's the first lesson that's obvious. The second lesson is God is wonderfully merciful. Even though He is perfectly just, He is wonderfully merciful. And we see it here in this passage. God, in His patience, is waiting for men to repent. He is bringing these judgments so that men will come to their senses and repent of their sin. God is not willing that any should perish. That's our God. And even these judgments, which seem so severe, what is God's purpose? To bring repentance. God is wonderfully merciful. But as you read the end of this section, we learn thirdly that people are utterly foolish. People are utterly foolish. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. They continued to worship demons and idols of gold and silver. And they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their immoralities and their thefts. How foolish, how foolish can people be? They ignore the warnings of a God who loves them. They reject the one who made them and gave his son to die for them. And as a result, they choose judgment instead of salvation. Spurning the God who made them. Blaspheming him. How foolish can people be? In the months following a devastating tsunami in December of 2004, maybe some of you remember this, there's quite a story of survival that took place on one of the islands, the Samulu Island in Indonesia. And a news report said that, and this is amazing, only seven people of the 70,000 or 75,000 population died in that tsunami. Only seven people. You know why? They had heard stories from 1907 when a tsunami came and just about wiped out the whole nation. And these stories were passed down from generation to generation. And so when the people on that island felt the ground shaking, and they saw the, the sea retreating from the shore, they knew that water's going to come back. And they went to the higher ground, and only seven out of 75,000 people died. Why? They heeded the warning, didn't they? They heeded the warning. A warning that had been given from generation to generation. Almost a hundred years. From 1907 to 2004. Almost a hundred years. They talked about what could happen. Only seven died because the rest heeded the warning. 
We are warned, aren't we, in Scripture over and over. Jesus is coming again. There is going to be a day of judgment. And these trumpets are, are alarms enough to say, People, get ready. People, Jesus is coming. A final day of judgment will come. There's only one place of refuge. That's in Jesus. That's our only place of refuge. His judgment will come. But the judgment for our sin already took place at the cross where Jesus carried every sin that we committed, bore that sin on the cross, paid that price for us. Why would anyone refuse that wondrous, glorious gift of forgiveness and experience the final judgment of God? I don't understand. How foolish can people be? I trust you've come to Jesus today. That you know Him as your Savior. You know you've been forgiven. Your sins have been washed away. You stand in a right relationship with God. And you wait for the day when Jesus comes again. Because you have a hope. You have a living hope. Because of what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray. Father, thank You for that hope. Thank You, Lord Jesus. We do not need to fear what will come. You will provide for us. You will protect us. You will bring us safely into Your glorious presence. Oh, Lord, thank You for that hope we have today. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone here who has not experienced that hope, that joy, that wondrous gift of Your mercy and forgiveness, that they would heed the alarm, the many alarms that we see in Scripture, that the day is coming when Jesus will judge the living and the dead. Oh God, do your work in our hearts this morning for the glory, the praise of your name. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.